Hey, good to see you guys here. Good morning, everybody. I'm Pastor Brian, and uh, one of the teaching pastors here. And we're going through the pursuit, and we're in, we're in week number eight today. And uh, I want to start by just kind of going over sort of where we've been. Today we're going to talk about everything we need to be godly. But I want to make sure we put it in the context of what the pursuit is all about. The pursuit is our 12-week discipleship series uh, that we... we we're finally preaching on it, but it's really mainly for one-on-one disciple-making. It's for family devotionals. It's for small groups to go through, and it teaches the essentials of Christianity. Like, what is it that Jesus wants for us as Christians? Like, what, is his, what was his vision for us all along? And we, the way we articulate that vision, we like to use pictures around here, is this picture. We call it the full circle follower of Jesus. This is something that my wife and I, Tracy and I, taught our kids when they were in junior high and high school, and, uh, and it's something, if you, were to add, if you were to grab one of our kids, they're 21 and, and 19, now if you were to grab one of them and say, what is a Christian, they would say this. They would say, a Christian, and young people, I want you to hear this, because I want you to know this too, but parents, it's important for you to know this as well. A Christian is someone who does three things. A Christian trusts Jesus. Now that means we trust Jesus to even get the whole thing started, because the Bible says that we start a relationship with God by trusting Jesus. We don't start a relationship with God by being a good person and working our way to- toward his approval. We start a relationship with God by trusting Jesus for salvation. He changes us, he saves us. That's the good news of the Bible. That's called the gospel. This is what we preach every week. We sing about it in our songs all the time, that God saves us because he's good and he's loving. So that's the first thing. A Christian is someone who trusts Jesus. You can't be a Christian. I want you to hear this. You can't be a Christian you can't be a Christian if you haven't personally trusted Jesus for salvation. We talked about that in week six, and I know we gave you an opportunity to trust Jesus for salvation, but if any of you missed that opportunity, or if you've had a couple weeks to think about it, and you want to make that decision today, come talk with us after the service, because we would love to introduce you to Jesus. I did that when I was six years old. I trusted Jesus for salvation. I, the way we said it when I was young is I asked him into my heart, and um, it's a good thing because I was on a path toward destruction. I was drinking and smoking. And <laughs> I was a rough six-year-old, but God saved me. And um, now some of you have stories like that. That wasn't my story. Praise God. I, got, I came to faith in, in Christ as a young person, and I'm so grateful for that. I'm grateful for that testimony. I don't have a cool testimony. Some of our pastors on staff were drug dealers, and they were, you know, they were just bad, bad bad people, Um, but not me. I just, Jesus saved me at six, and he took me off of that path, and now I, you know, I love Jesus, and now, that was 20 20 plus years ago, and um, it's so good. The first service didn't laugh at those kinds of jokes. It's just too early. Thank you. So that's the first thing, is you trust Jesus for salvation. A lot of people stop with that. A lot of people say, hey, I prayed the prayer. I became a Christian. I even, maybe some people say I got baptized. Check that box. And then they go on and live however they want. Guys, that is, that's not all Jesus wants from you. Jesus wants you to go on to the next thing, which is to honor God with your life. He wants you to, to do what pleases him from here on out. In fact, there's, and that's really what we're talking about today. There's a verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. It says, this means that Anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, and a new life has begun. And so 
coming to faith in Jesus is not just the end. It is the end of something. It's the end of your old life. But more, maybe even more importantly, it's the beginning of a new life. It's the beginning of a new way to live your life. And so we want to make sure that everyone who goes to Alpine understands this. We want to be Christians who honor God with our lives. That doesn't mean we're perfect. doesn't mean we do it perfectly. And also, by the way, it doesn't mean that we're saved by honoring God. We're saved. Arrow one handled our salvation. We trusted Jesus. We were saved, period. That's it. He saved us. But now what happens is now we live our lives to honor God. Now we move on to honor God with our lives. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. So today, in today's message, we're going to talk about everything we need for living a godly life. Everything that we need to honor God. And we love pictures around here. We want you to have this visual. It's a three-legged stool. We're introducing this, this picture. We worked hard on this picture. We worked really hard on this three-legged stool. But I, want, I want you to have that emblazoned in your mind. It's, if, you've ever, if you've ever sat on a stool with three legs, it's, it's supposed to only have three legs. Not one that used to have four legs and now only has three legs. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a three-legged stool, and it's solid. It's got those three points, and you set up. But could you imagine taking one of those points away? You'd wipe out. You'd fall down. And so God has given us three things that we need for living a godly life. And our scripture verse for today is first, or 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. It says there, by his divine power... God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. And some of you might be sitting here today saying, I can't wait to find out what these things are because maybe you're a Christian, but you feel like you've really struggled to live a God-honoring life. You became a Christian a couple weeks ago, a couple decades ago, whenever, however long ago you became a Christian, but you've really struggled to live a life that's different. And so today's message is for you. And I, I really want you to sort of take... Take a look at your life and say, am I missing one or two of these things in my life? Am I not tapped into one of, or maybe that's why your stool is wobbly. Maybe that's why your life isn't, it doesn't look like some of the other Christians you've heard about or you feel like there's some shame and guilt in your life and you feel like you're not, you're not living the kind of life that God wants you to live. And maybe it's because you're missing out on something that God has graciously given you so that you could live a godly life. And so we're going to talk about these three things. Number one, the first thing is God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God. 1 Peter 1, 2 says, God the Father knew you and chose you long ago. I love this. And his Spirit has made you holy. Now, holy is a fancy word for being someone who lives right, who honors God with your life. So the Bible says his Spirit has made you holy. God's Holy Spirit has made you holy. You don't make yourself holy. God's Spirit makes you holy. In fact, Peter says, and as a result, you have obeyed him and have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, one of my favorite verses on the Holy Spirit, and some of you have maybe never seen this, I want to show this to you, is from the Apostle Paul, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. Paul's explaining this to the church in Ephesus, the Christians in Ephesus. He said, when you believed in Christ, so we're talking about the first arrow, when you trusted Jesus for salvation, when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit whom he promised long ago. And the Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance that he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. Now when Paul says there that 
The Holy Spirit was promised long ago. He's talking about verses like this in the Old Testament. Ezekiel chapter 36. I love this passage. I don't know if you've, if you've seen this recently. It's one of my favorite. And it's really nice. I, I liked, we like to put Scripture side by side so that you can understand when you're reading one passage in the New Testament, Ephesians, we want to go backwards to the Old Testament to see what Paul's even talking about. Ezekiel 36, 26 says, God's promise, he says, I will give you a new heart. He says, there's going to come a day when I'll give you a new heart. I'll put a new spirit in you. And I love what he says next here. Anyone who's married understands this, or anyone who has kids understands this. Next one. He says, I'm going to take out your stony, stubborn heart. Teenagers, listen to this. God says, I'm going to take out your stony, stubborn heart, and I'm going to give you a tender, responsive heart. How many of you have ever had a stony, stubborn heart? Husbands, let's admit this. You're having, a, you're having a discussion with your wife. Some people call these arguments. We call them discussions in our home. You're having a discussion. You're just having a conversation here. It's getting heated. And I can just feel, my wife Tracy, I can feel this wall going up in our relationship because, because two things are happening. Number one, my heart is stubborn. My heart is stubborn. I get stuck in my own little box. I get stuck in my perspective. It's so hard for me to see a problem from my wife's perspective. I naturally see it from my perspective, and as a result now, I have a stony, stubborn heart toward my wife, and she's no better. just want you to know, she's no better. <laughs> she, over here, she's on her side, and she's in her own little box, and she's got her stony, stubborn heart, and pretty soon this discussion, this, some of you call it argument, this discussion puts this wall up, and what happens is we're no longer tender and responsive to each other. Do you know the difference when you're tender and responsive? Man, there are times in our marriage where it's just like, it is working, like we're driving down the road and it's just like, we're just clicking, we're on the same page, she's tender and responsive toward me and I'm tender and responsive toward her and it's, man, those moments are awesome. Tracy and I have been married for 24 years. This summer we celebrated 24 years. We've had We've had 22 awesome years of marriage. <laughs> you could do the math. So there were a couple of years there that were really hard. Now, not two straight years. I'm just saying if you were to take all the times where we were stony and stubborn toward each other, they would easily add up to a couple of years, right? Because we're human beings. And that getting to that place where we can see it their way and we can be tender toward each other, it's just a wonderful thing. Well, the same thing happens in our relationship with God. In our relationship with God, here we are over here on our side, and we're stubborn toward him, and we want to do things our way, and we want to, we want to live the life that we want to live, not what God has told us that he wants for us to live. And so how do we, how do we change that in our relationship with God? The Holy Spirit is the one who changes it. The Holy Spirit, from the inside out, gives us a tender and responsive heart toward God. And it's a good thing because if the Holy Spirit wasn't doing that work, I want you to know it wouldn't happen for any of us. We would not be tender and responsive toward God. In fact, parents, I want to encourage you for your kids. The number one thing you can do for your kids is to pray this prayer over them and pray, God, please give my kid a tender, responsive heart toward you. Not, not toward parents. I mean, parents, that's great. But more than anything, God, give my kid a tender, responsive heart toward you. 
And he says this in, in verse 27, I'll put my spirit in you. Okay, this is God's promise. This is what Paul was referring to in Ephesians 1.13. He says, God promised the Holy Spirit long ago. And look at what he promised that the Holy Spirit would do. Remember, the Holy Spirit is God living in us. When you become a Christian, God's Holy Spirit comes in you. And look at what the Holy Spirit does. He helps you to follow God's decrees and be careful to obey God's regulations. That's what the Holy Spirit does for you. The Holy Spirit is the power source inside of you to get you to be obedient to God. The Holy Spirit is the one who does that. So if you don't recognize that that's the Holy Spirit's work in you, then you're not going to live to honor God. That's why the Holy Spirit is the first leg of the stool. It's the most important because the Holy Spirit is God himself working from the inside out to make you obedient. And I'm going to go ahead and say it like that. He wants to make you and me obedient. Now, it doesn't save you because we're saved by trusting Jesus for salvation. But once we get saved, the Holy Spirit wants to come in and make us obedient to him. He cares about our actions. He cares about our choices and our lifestyles. He doesn't want us to just live however we want. He wants us to be tender and responsive and be obedient to him. Now, Paul talked about it like this in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 and 17. says, so I say... Let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. I just want you to pay attention to the way Paul says this. Because some people think that you might be listening to this saying, okay, there's something wrong with me then because I'm not always tender and responsive to God. I became a Christian a couple weeks ago or a couple decades ago, but I'm not always tender and responsive. I still struggle with sin. I still struggle with bad habits. And some of you are sitting here thinking to yourself, maybe, maybe I'm the exception. Maybe God didn't, maybe he missed me when he was handing out the Holy Spirit, when he's giving the Holy Spirit to his Christians, he, met, he skipped over me because you're like, I don't feel tender and responsive toward God all the time, so something must be wrong. Well, this passage is gonna encourage you. Look at how Paul talks about it. He says, you need to let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. You need to let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. And when you do that, then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. And some of you are like, well, hold on a second. I thought I don't have a sinful nature anymore. Well, apparently you do. That's what Paul's saying here. He says the sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. So look, it's, Paul says, Paul's saying this. There's two forces inside of you. There's two forces constantly fighting each other. And I, it's so interesting how he says this last part. He says, so as a result, you are not free to carry out your good intentions. Now I know maybe, maybe you're discouraged when you read that, but for me that's encouraging because I can relate to that. Here's a guy, Paul, who loves Jesus. He wrote more than half of the books of the New Testament. And Paul is not just talking about this theologically. I think he's talking from personal experience. Romans chapter 7, he says, I can't, I can't figure it out. I do what I don't want to do. What I don't want to do, I end up doing. I'm a mess. That's what Paul says. I'm a mess. And this is what he says. He says, look, there's these two forces. The Spirit is in you trying to make you tender and responsive toward God. But guess what? That sinful nature that Jesus took care of at the cross, that sinful nature still has some authority in your life. The sinful nature is still at work in your life. The sinful nature still has sway in your life. And Paul describes it as two forces that are just always beating at each other. 
And the result is you aren't as free as you hoped you would be to carry out your good intentions. Like, I want to love my wife. I want to serve my wife. But I'm not free to do it. Because I've got this old me in me. Last night we went, we were at a barbecue and she's getting over a cold so she didn't want to she didn't want to go in there toward the food, and so she asked me to serve her. And I thought, this is great. I want to serve my, I love my wife. I want to serve my wife. You know, she served me so much. And so I served her. I was getting her meat. I was getting her food. I was getting her everything all night long. It was great, or so I thought. And on the way home, she's like, you could have done better. <laughs> and I said, honey, I am not free to carry out my good intentions. Like, I really wanted to serve her, and I really, seriously, in my own flesh, I thought I was doing a really good job. I kind of was looking for a little bit of a pat on the back, and she said, you could have done a little bit better. She She got home, and she ate a bowl of cereal, which means I didn't serve her well enough. I was fine. I didn't need a bowl of cereal. See, there's this, there's this battle in you that's always at war within you. And so what's the solution? He's, again, to that first verse, you have to let the Holy Spirit guides you. At the end of the chapter, Paul says, walk by the Spirit, not by the flesh. So there, it's interesting that he uses language like that. He's like, I need you to, Paul's saying, we have to participate with God in walking by the Spirit. There's these two forces in you, two wolves in you, and you get, the wolf you feed is the one that's going to win. And he's saying, feed the Spirit. Don't feed the sinful nature. Don't feed your flesh. You need to walk by the Spirit. And then he gives us this really cool list in case you're unsure of what that means to walk by the Spirit. Here's here's what he says. The Holy Spirit produces, isn't that an interesting word? Produces this fruit. The Holy Spirit in you from the inside out produces this fruit. You don't produce the fruit. You see the difference? You don't work for the fruit. The Holy Spirit in you The natural result of the Spirit in you and living by the Spirit and walking by the Spirit, the natural result of that is you start seeing some fruit pop out on that tree because you've been nurturing it. You've been walking by the Spirit. And here's what that fruit looks like. See if you can can recognize any of this in your marriage or in your parenting or young people in the way you talk with your parents. Love, joy, peace, patience, Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and the hardest one for young men, self-control. See, that's the fruit that is produced when you tap into the Holy Spirit who's already in you if you're a Christian. It's more than willpower, it's God's power at work in you, because your willpower That means your intentions, your willpower isn't strong enough because you aren't free to carry out your good intentions. So you need more than willpower. You need God's Spirit in you producing things like the fruit of the Spirit coming out of you. So that's the first leg of the stool, God's Spirit. The second leg of the stool is God's Word. We need God's Word. We need the Bible. Paul said this to his protege, Timothy, 2 Timothy 3. He said, all Scripture is inspired by God, and is, I love this word, men, pay attention to this word, useful. A lot of men don't read their Bibles because they don't see the use. I'm not, I don't mean to just pick men out here, but women tend to read more than men. 
But I want you to hear, in fact, my mom, growing up, my mom read the Bible every day, and my dad didn't growing up, but now he does. You know why? Because it's useful. He sees how useful God's word is, and he's in the word every day. Here's what it's useful for, four things. Follow it with me. It teaches us what is true. I mean, that is pretty useful, because there's a lot of fake news out there, and if, if you think that you're going to get truth from your favorite influencer young people on Instagram or Twitter or MySpace, it's not going to happen, young people. It was supposed to be funny. I'm telling you, I really thought this service would get that one. The first service, they were all old, and they don't even understand it. <laughs> but MySpace isn't a thing anymore, and some of you maybe. Okay, anyway, I'll move on. I'll just cross that out in my notes for the next service. Maybe the 12 o'clock service will laugh at that one. There's so much fake news in influencers, and there's fake news if you turn on CNN or MSNBC or even Fox News. There's fake news on all of it. All of it. Because it's people who have agendas, and they're not thinking about God's word all the time. I'm not saying it's all bad. Some of it lines up with God's word, but most of it doesn't. And so God's word is useful to teach us what's true, otherwise we won't know. But number two, it's useful because it helps us, it helps to make us realize what's wrong in our lives. Now that's getting a little more personal. How many of you just lovingly welcome it when somebody says, hey, I, can I just tell you what's wrong with you? And you're just like, yes, please tell me. I've been waiting for somebody to tell me what's wrong with me. Some of you spouses right now are realizing that maybe that wasn't a good tactic. Don't ever start with that. I, one of our pastors is a teaching, is a golf pro. And he, the other day we went to, we went to lunch, he says, hey, could I, could, I, could I tell you what's wrong with your golf swing? And I'll be honest with you, like my first reaction was, could I tell you what's wrong with your face? <laughs> but I didn't say that. I'm just telling you, that stony, stubborn heart was in me. I just was like, Rah! like I wanted to come out at him. But then I realized, you know what? He's a better golfer than I am. And he actually knows what he's talking about. And I said, yes. And he gave me a simple tip that I can't wait to integrate into my golf swing. He gave me just a really simple tip because he was willing to tell me what was wrong with my golf swing. God's word tells us what's wrong with our lives if we would be humble enough to submit to it. But I love the third thing it does is then it corrects us when we're wrong. It doesn't just tell us what's wrong, but it corrects us. Because it's one thing to know what's wrong with something. It's another thing to tell you how to correct it. Like I could look at a, a golf swing, I'd say, there's something wrong with that golf swing. Like Charles Barkley, there is something wrong with your golf swing. But it's a totally different skill set to be able to say, let me show you how to fix it. And see, God's word is useful because it doesn't just tell us what's wrong, but then it tells us how to correct what's wrong. And then the fourth thing, it says, it teaches us to do what is right. And that's like the proactive, it's, there's like a progression in what God's word does. Identifying what's wrong to the very end of it, one of the translations says that it trains us in righteousness. So now it says, I'm going to be with you every day, and I'm going to train you how to live your life in a way that honors God every single day. See, God's word is useful in our lives. 
And God uses it to prepare and equip his people for, to do every good work. So if you don't read your Bible, we'll talk more about how to do that next week. If you don't read your Bible on a regular basis, I want you to hear this. You will not live a godly life. I promise you. If you don't read your Bible, you will not live a godly life. Now that might sound really mean. I'm just telling you. I've seen a lot of people in, in over 20 years of ministry. And if you're not in the word for yourself, you will not you will not live a godly life. You just won't because you'll end up following your sinful nature. So get in God's word. I love how Jesus said it. Man, this is, these are really convicting words. Luke chapter six. Jesus said this. Why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord when you don't do what I say? Oh, I mean, that's just like, oh. Because some people, some people think about Following Jesus is just the first arrow of that circle. Hey, I trusted Jesus for salvation. I prayed the prayer. I'm a Christian. And then you don't give it a second thought. You, you're okay with Jesus being the Savior of your life. He saved you from your sins. But you're not really on board with him being the Lord of your life. Like he can tell you what to do. He can tell you what's wrong with your golf swing. See, Jesus said it like this. Quit calling me Lord, Lord, if you don't want to obey me. He's talking about the second arrow of the circle. And then he says this, I'm going to show you what it's like when someone comes to me, trust Jesus, they come to me, they listen to my teaching, they listen to my teaching, and then they follow it. He says, I'm going to show you what it's like when someone actually does that. I kind of feel like he's being a little snarky. I'm just, I don't think this is just how I'm reading it. I, I really think like he's ticked off. He's like, I am so sick of everybody calling me Lord, Lord, and they don't want to even obey what I say. They don't obey me. He's sick of it. I'm going to show you what it's like when a moron, I mean, not a moron, sorry, you're not a moron. I want to show you what it's like when somebody actually comes to me, listens to what I say, and then does it. I'm going to show you what it's like. Here's what it's like. He says, it's like a person building a house who digs deep and they lay a foundation on solid rock. And so when the floodwaters rise and they break against the house, it stands firm because it's well built. You see what he's doing there? He's saying you have a solid foundation. If you have God's word as a leg of your stool, you will have a solid foundation. If you don't, you will come crashing down with the next wave of popular teaching. You have to be in God's word. That's the second leg of the stool. And there's one more leg, and it's God's people. Some of you might, might be saying, okay, I recognize I've got God's spirit in me, and, and I'm committed to the word of God, but listen, I, I want you to know this. You cannot live a godly life in isolation you cannot live a godly life on your own. Paul says it here in Galatians 6. Remember, he just said in Galatians 5, he just said there's this battle, there's this war on the inside, and it almost gives you the idea that the Christian life is just like this individual battle. Every, just a bunch of individuals running around battling on the inside, the spirit against the flesh, and oh, who's going to win? But then he, we turn the chapter to chapter 6, Galatians 6, he says this. So here, so here he gets really practical. He says, dear brothers and sisters, if another believer 
is overcome by some sin because there's a battle in every one of us and every once in a while you're going to be overcome by some sin. Sometimes you're going to lose the battle. And Paul wants to get really practical here with the church in Galatia. He says, I want you to know what to do with the person who loses the battle. Instead of walking by the Spirit, they fall to the flesh and they start sinning. I want you to know what to do with them. He says this, you who are godly should kick those people out of the church because there's no room for people like that in here. That's not what he says. That's what a lot of people think he might say. Maybe a church you grew up in, that's how, that's how they handled it, but that's not what Paul says. Paul says, you who are godly should not panic. You should have expected this because it happens to the best of us. But you who are godly should gently and humbly tell them it's no big deal and they can live however they want to. No, not that either. Do you see the two extremes? The one extreme is, you're a sinner? Well, you're not welcome here. That's one extreme. The other extreme is, you're a sinner? Come on, let's all sin. Let's all just do whatever we want. No, Paul doesn't say to go there either. Paul, Paul strikes this perfect middle ground. He says, no, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. In other words, there's a right path, and we need to tell each other about it. We need to encourage one another. We need to spur one another, one another on to good works. And he says, be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. He says, share each other's burdens, and in this way you obey the law of Christ. Now when he talks about the law of Christ, there's no footnote on that in the original Greek, but what we think he means by that is, the, is the, what Jesus said is the most important commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So what he's basically saying is, when you share each other's burdens, sin burdens, people who are struggling in sin, when you help them to get back on the right path, you're actually being obedient to the most basic thing God wanted us to do, which is to love each other. That part of loving each other is being gracious and patient and calling sin out in each other's lives and hearing it, letting the Holy Spirit convict us, and then getting back onto the right path. But you can't do any of that if you don't have other believers in your life. You cannot live a godly life in isolation. And I kind of feel like I have to say this to men again. Because men are usually worse at this than women. Men, we need each other. We need each other if we're going to live godly lives. If we're going to be godly husbands and godly, godly uh, dads, if we're going to be godly leaders, we need each other. And this isn't just for men, it's for all of us. Young people, you need each other. That's why you should be involved in fusion. You should be involved in the Sunday morning thing. You should go to fusion on Thursday nights. Like You need other believers, not exclusively, God doesn't want us to take ourselves away from the world and cloister ourselves and become monks in a monastery. He's, we still need to be in the world, but we're not supposed to be of the world. We need each other because it's hard. Honoring God in our lives is hard. Letting the fruit of the Spirit come out of us is hard. So we need each other. We need all three legs of the stool. So I want to close with this last. I want to just look at this first one more time as we, as we look at all three of these. 2 Peter 1.3, this is what we started with. By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. I just want to make sure that you understand something. 
That first arrow in the circle, we, we start by trusting Jesus, is 100% gift from God. 100% gift from God. It's by his grace that we're saved. But I want also to know this, that your ability to live a godly life is also dependent on God's grace. It's his gift. He's given us these three gifts. His spirit that he promised long ago, his word, and thank God we have his word, and then his people. Look around, he's given us each other. These are gifts from God for us to tap into. And this is all we need to live a godly life. And we can do it. We can honor God with our lives, young and old, young people, old people, all of us. We can honor God with our lives. So let's do that. Let's move on to that. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray that you would help us to do just that. God, that that you would help us to recognize that your Holy Spirit moves us from the inside out and that, God, that we need to be in our words so that we can discern truth from lies. And God, help us to really appreciate one another and be connected in in, in our families and in our small groups and one-on-one mentoring relationships, God, that we would learn how to lean on each other, that we would learn how to speak truth and love to one another, and God, that, that you would allow all, these, all three of these things to work together to produce in us godly lives, that we would be the kinds of followers, Jesus, that you were, that you were looking for all along, that we wouldn't just be people who say, Lord, Lord, but we don't ever obey you, God, may we obey you from the heart. And so, Lord Jesus, I pray that you'd help each of us to do that. God, that the watching world would want to know what that's all about. We give it to you. We trust you, Lord God, for the fruit. We pray these things for your glory because you deserve the glory. But we also pray it for our good because we know that this is good for us. In Jesus' name, amen.